Well, welcome back, friends, to another episode of Faith Beyond Sunday. I'm glad that you took the time to join us today for this episode where I am joined by my good friend, Jason Magnuson. Jason, like me, is a pastor, specifically a youth pastor. And the conversation that we have today is about shaping God in our own image. And yes, you heard that right shaping God in our own image. You see, in the book of Genesis, where it talks about how God created everything, it talks about how God created mankind and he created them in his image. But something that we do as people, as flawed humans, is we tend to shape God in a way that makes us feel better about the ways that we want to live or put power behind our own agendas, our own desires, because if they are God's desires, not our own that we're pushing, of course, that in our own hearts is going to give our desires, our agendas much more weight. This is a very important discussion and I'm glad that it's the discussion that Jason wanted to have And so without any further ado, let's get into it. Let's get into this conversation. All right, so for this episode of the show, I am pleased to be able to introduce you to uh, my good friend Jason. Jason was uh, one of my best men in my wedding. Uh, He and I went to college together. Uh, Jason, welcome to the show, and for our listeners out there, give us a little bit of an introduction of who is Jason Magnuson. Yeah, uh, Mitch, uh, thanks for having me on. I'm really excited to be here to be able to uh, just talk, uh, share some ideas, and discuss, uh, you know, theology with you. Um, yeah, so uh, my name is Jason. I am uh, been a youth pastor in the uh, West Michigan area for oh, uh, formally youth pastoring for maybe seven, eight years on and off, but really in youth ministry for almost 12 years mm. uh, between camp ministries and volunteer ministries and, and whatnot. Uh, currently serve as the pastor of student ministries at Calvary Church in Muskegon, Michigan. Um, love, love that local body there. Um, I am married, uh, two kids, four and two, uh, a girl and a boy. Um, they keep me very busy, um, but <laughs> I love them so much. And uh, yeah, um, I'm also a student at uh, Grand Rapids Theological Seminary, uh, pursuing a Master's of Divinity. Uh, it's just one of those things where God kind of put it on my heart. If I'm going to be uh, in the pastoral role, I do need to uh, make sure that I'm handling the word of truth accurately. And so uh, that has been a big conviction for the past several years, and I finally was able to pull the trigger this year on that. So um, that's a little bit about me um, in a nutshell. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, and that'll that'll be a huge part of the conversation today when we move into the topic is handling handling the Word of God in the in the right way. But before we jump into that topic... I told you to bring a story, a story that takes about two minutes to share. What is the story about? Is it about a trip to a different state with your family, a family vacation? What's the story about? 
Uh, the story is about how awful I am off the cuff giving announcements at church. Fantastic. Oh, man, I'm excited for this one. Okay, so here's the game. I told you this story should take about two minutes to share. I'm going to give you two minutes to share it. However, in this game called Story Timer, uh, I am going to give you the two minutes, but at any point during the story, I'm allowed to ask you a question, any questions based off of anything you say. And to the best of your ability, you have to answer that question as truthfully as you can. If you get through the story, you win. If you don't, I win. If you don't get through the story, the audience also loses because they don't get to hear the rest of your story. <laughs> I have faith in you because you are also a youth pastor, as you said. We know how to play stupid, silly games. So are you ready? I, I guess, yeah. Let's All do right, this. Let's see if you can do it. And your two minutes starts now. Yeah, so I'm asked frequently to give announcements at church. How frequently would you Very say? Very frequently. Like every uh, Sunday? I would say probably a couple times, five or six times a quarter. Okay. Um, we uh, go through and uh, give these announcements. And so the, on this particular event, um, I'm up there giving announcements. I invite my wife, Kayla, up, uh, up on stage. Okay. Uh, to How big is your stage? Decent size. All right. Um, um, to give the announcement. So she shares something about the women's ministry, brings my son what up on stage. What did she share about the women's um, ministry? I honestly couldn't remember. You, okay. uh, couldn't tell you. Um, but she came up to share something, and uh, she brought my son. And uh, Did after, he want to come up? Does he, is he stage he, he shy? Couldn't, he didn't have any uh, reason not to. So. All right. Um, but so as she's leaving the stage, I say, everyone, that's my wife, and uh, uh, that's... Um, May or may not be my kid. And everyone <laughs> just kind of like, just dead silence, yeah. laughter, just all, and I realize what I've just said, because I just say that because, you know, uh, <laughs> that's just something I say off the cuff because it's funny. Yeah, and I didn't realize, satirical. yeah, I didn't realize exactly what I was saying until everyone started laughing. And then my wife calls from the back, he is your son. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how I uh, am still surprised that I'm being asked to give announcements on Sundays, but I do. Fantastic. You did it. You made it through. I could tell you had speed there. Um, so other people who have tried to get through it, first of all, everybody's shocked when I say two minutes is up. You got it done. One minute and 30 seconds. But a lot of people have gone into extra detail thinking, oh, if I if I answer this before he asks this, <laughs> so they've given me detail that I wasn't even going to ask about and wasted their time. I could tell right away. I'm like, he's he's zoned in. He's getting through it quick. You've won. You're the first person as of this recording to win. So well done. Thanks. Uh, I mean, as a youth pastor, you have to because your kid's going to ask you all these oh questions. Oh my gosh! In the you of need lesson. to know we how to cut get, through yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. We get we get questions like that all the time. And sometimes, let's be honest, we're just like Billy. After I'll answer after Billy. Put your hand down. <laughs> Everyone has a Billy. Yeah. Everyone has a Everyone Billy. Ha- and and sometimes you just get to this like. Yes. No. Moving on. Right. We're go, we're going we'll address to the next that later. Thing. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. First of all, that's fantastic. That's a fantastic story. I think most youth pastors have had that moment where we've made a a dumb joke and had to pedal it back or <laughs> like, oh shoot, yeah, that came out wrong. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, let's jump into the topic today. Uh, when I asked you what you'd like to talk about um, for the podcast. Uh, you, your mind went to uh, this uh, this thesis paper that you wrote uh, during your time in seminary. What is the what was the title? Because I love the title of this paper. Yeah, the title of my paper that I wrote is called Imago Mei, yeah. uh, Dismantling Jesus in My Image. Um, Im- 
specifically in the arena of politics, but in general. And that's that's a play on words. Can you kind of describe what that is a play on words of? Absolutely, yeah. So there's a very popular, very common phrase in Christendom uh, that goes imago Dei, in the image of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we see that in Genesis, and we see that play out throughout uh, Scripture. Um, and so that's kind of the inspiration that I, uh, I took my paper title from. And God has created us in his image. In his yep. image. And somehow we have, when I say we, I mean modern American Christians. Mm-hmm. I can't really speak to other nationalities, other perspectives, uh, because I am not one of them. I am an American citizen yep. and a Christian in America. So um, when I think about that, I, I look and reflect, and sometimes I think and I see that uh, there is a version of Jesus out there that's crafted in my image mm-hmm. or, or an individual's image that's not necessarily derived from Scripture. Yeah, there's a TV show um, that y- what you're talking about really reminds me of <laughs> everything you're saying right now uh, in the TV show American Gods. There is this moment where um, the characters meet Jesus, and then behind Jesus, there is another Jesus, and another Jesus, and another Jesus, and it's like this house full of Jesuses, because it is Jesus, yeah, like the idea of Jesus that so-and-so has created, and so-and-so has created, and certainly so many sects of Christianity, so many places in the world and time periods you talk to them about who is Jesus— and they may give you a very, very different answer. And so you're, we're talking today, what we're here to talk about is um, as people, as, as, as humans crafting God in our own image, right? Following our own uh, desires. So what, is, what does this look like? And as you said, uh, with, with, your, with your paper and with, I think you'd say, your job as a pastor, your ministry in your own personal life, uh, you're coming at this looking at uh, American Christianity, right? Um, what does it look like to you? How does this play out, this idea of creating God in our own image? So I think it really begins innocently enough um, where we have, and everyone has this, where we all come from a certain background. We all come carrying specific biases. And I think it's very important, regardless of who we are, to acknowledge the biases that we, that we bring to the table. And not all biases are inherently bad. Uh, some, you know, our biases can help uh, inform or, or show Jesus from a different perspective, a new perspective, a fresh perspective um, that, that maybe someone else may not see um, Jesus or, or scripture as a whole from. And so I think we begin rather innocently enough when we read scripture, we're just going to interpret uh, Jesus based on our backgrounds. And um, the, I think the problem arises when we start to um, ascribe different beliefs that I have, values that I have, and project them onto Jesus. I think that's where we start to have the problem. And then when you have groups of people who start sharing that same perspective and start sharing that same bias, you almost create this almost like an echo chamber where you reinforce your own perspectives with each other to the point where you start blocking out other perspectives. And when that starts to happen, you start to solidify in your minds, this is who Jesus is. 
And then when different versions of Jesus show up, you look at that and you call that heresy. You call that, that's not Jesus. That's not the guide of the Bible. When in fact, maybe, just maybe your version of Jesus is not the God of the Bible, but because of the echo chamber that you've created, because of the reinforcements and because of how you then start interpreting all scripture through your lens, you all of a sudden have a harder time discerning what is really the Bible trying to communicate about Jesus versus what do I want the Bible to say about Jesus for me? How do how do we, as people, how do we get to that point that we start losing, um, I don't know, I don't know how to describe it, but losing our ability to hear and to read uh, the words of Jesus and have them hit us as Jesus's true meaning or, or or the things that God wants us to to glean as we read through the Bible and hear the word how do we lose that and all of a sudden become saturated with a message that is not his yeah i think back to the story where Jesus encounters the uh, rich young ruler and the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, uh, I, I've done all of these things. I've kept the law. I've kept the Torah ever since I was a child perfectly. I, I've never done, I've never broken any of these. What more do I need? And Jesus, his response is sell everything you have, give it away to the poor and follow me. And that just crushes the rich young ruler. And I think it crushes the rich young ruler because he's coming from a position of such comfort where he has grown accustomed to a specific way of life and the religion that he had been following allowed for such a thing and it didn't infringe too hard upon it. Whereas when Jesus confronts him with the truth of saying, you need to even give that up, it's dis- it's uncomfortable. There's a level of discomfort there. All of a sudden it's like, no, I don't want it. And I think that's really where it comes down to is that we find discomfort in some of the things that Jesus says. And so what we do is we shy away from those things. We try to explain around those things. We try to uh, find other things yeah, find, that we grasp find onto. Find other verses yeah. that, that back up what we're... And, uh, yeah, but this other one that says the thing I don't like, I don't, that's not super meaningful. Right, exactly. And so it, it, it comes out of this place of we don't want to be uncomfortable in our faith. And so we build up a Christian... We, we enter genuinely and honestly and truly into Christianity, but then as we continue to traverse through our Christian walk, we grow more and more comfortable with how things are. And when rea- when God's reality, which is reality, let's just be honest, God's reality is the reality. And when God's reality, so when I say that, when I say God's reality, I mean reality as it should be. Um, when God's reality comes face to face with us, we are uncomfortable with it and we don't want it. So we retreat back to our manufactured reality where we can still kind of operate in the ritual of Christianity, or we can start operating out of the things that we like about Christianity while at the same time insulate ourselves from the things of Christianity that we probably don't want to do or want to listen to. So how do you see this actually coming into play right now we're recording 2020 we're we're in Michigan but like in in America right now today within the Christian church how do you see this actually playing out um, do you do you think that we're at a point in time where it's 
it's any different than 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago? Is this just an ever-present thing? Is this something that um, is currently maybe at a, at a different height? That's a lot of questions. But yeah, how do you see this playing out in our world today? Yeah, um, so in doing some research on my, in my, with my paper... Um, I did a lot of research into what kind of started the... So admittedly, this is a political paper that I've written. Yeah. And it's... But it's political in the sense that it addresses politics, not chooses a side. Mm -hmm. And so what I did was... Because I come from the religious right background. Mm -hmm. So it's only fair that I start by investigating the religious right because that's my comfort um, and so I did some digging and I found out that, you know, around the, the, the mid to late nineties, 1990s, we find this group called the religious right, the Christian right, um, rise up the, the moral right. There, there's a number of different names that, that is ascribed to this, that they rise up in, in response to a number of issues, uh, that they're seeing within America, up until that point, there is no such thing as religious right. There is no such thing as Christian right. There is no such thing as moral right. It's everybody holds to, ascribes to a, generally speaking, common moral standard. And on both sides of the aisle, uh, you know, Republican or, or Democrat, conservative or liberal, you have uh, a smattering of Christians who ascribe to and swear fealty to Jesus. Um, they just are interpreting things a little bit differently than each other from a policy standpoint. Mm -hmm. And so this group, they try to court the the Democrats who, for some reason or another, are not open to accepting this new group that's rising up. Because of that rejection, the conservatives, the, uh, the Republican side, uh, was much more receptive and took them in, and thereby almost sealing this idea of the religious right. And so this group rises up, claims to be the champion for Christian uh, ethic, um, Christian ethics, essentially. And so now all of a sudden we have this polarization because now if I'm a Christian and I'm, uh, I believe in more liberal democratic, uh, values, I, I remember now, now when I say this, we have to be very careful. I'm talking about liberal democratic values of the nineties because the nineties look different than the two thousands, which looks different than the 2010s, which looks different today. It just changes, it shifts, it morphs. So when I say liberal and conservative, please don't ascribe current models to then. Um, I think that's very important for us to do. So when you, when you as a, or I as a, uh, you know, say I'm, I'm a Democrat, a Christ, Democratic Christian, and I hear that the Christians should be supporting the religious or the Christian right, now all of a sudden I have this dilemma because maybe I don't agree with the policies, but a whole bunch of leaders are saying that this is the Christian ethic. So, so now all of a sudden a rift is opening up and tearing apart. And that's really the beginning of, of a lot of this, where a lot of this problem arises. And then as you kind of move through um, each decade, you see more and more how po more and more polarizing it gets, how they grasp onto certain aspects um, of policymaking to the point where now all of a sudden, honestly, I can only think of really one 
platform that in my conversations 2020 with well-meaning Christians, when I talk about um, voting, it's you either have to support the uh, the preservation of life or you are not a Christian because you support the slaughter of innocent babies. And that's way too pol- polarizing, way too um, simplistic. And it's it's not complete. It's not a complete perspective. Yeah, I, I told my students at the beginning of this um, youth group year, uh, I told them, I don't want you to grow up and be Republicans. And then I paused for dramatic effect and let them feel uncomfortable and let some of the leaders feel uncomfortable, right? <laughs> and I said, I followed up by saying, I don't want you to grow up and be Democrats. I don't want you to be liberals. I don't want you to be conservatives. What I want you to do as <laughs> as uh, part of this group and part of this church is I want you to grow up and be Christians. I think that is exactly what we're talking about here, right? Is like saying, what is what is the word of God, the words of Christ motivating us to do? And yeah, this this division that is felt by everyone, Absolutely. Christian and non-Christian, it, the line is getting further and further apart every day, I, I feel like. That's at least the world that, that I'm viewing. And, and certainly, I think it rings true what you're saying, that in the world that we're in, uh, the world around you and the world around me, uh, it is very much in the Christian community, the powers that reside, right, are of that right, uh, of that conservative right, Republican. I know from talking to people that there are other places in America where um, they experience it differently. But everything that I've experienced, even coming from New York, which is much more liberal-minded than uh, people who I come across here in Michigan, um, and I'm sure, you know, you get close to the cities like Detroit, it changes and everything. But even in New York, growing up in New York, when I went to church, it was resounding this knowledge that, yeah, this is more Republican conservative. I remember the way that the pastor would pray about Bush compared to the, I would almost say, lack of prayer when it came to Obama being in office. Um, and I think that many who are out there who are Christians can probably attest to that. I think that there's this feeling of alienation and being an outsider if you do lean left, if you do lean liberal and democratic. And and certainly, yeah, it's that mm-hmm. echo, echo chamber, like you say, that we have developed a society and the society has infiltrated infiltrated and perhaps been even championed in a lot of ways by the church that doesn't want to ask those uncomfortable questions of hey does this really align with the words of Christ with the words of Jesus and it's just so much more easier to say I'm part of this political party I'm part of this political party you if you're against this political party then you're wrong in God's eyes when I think that both of us could very easily say, yeah, neither side has it right, and neither side is actually pushing the agenda of Christ, they are pushing their own agendas, which some things might align with with Christ, but certainly not all. Right. And and I just want to really quickly touch on something, um, just to clarify as well. Um, I... 
have a lot of good friends who swear by the conservative party, by the, the Republican party, who are just, you know, they bleed red, right? They are amazing people. They love Jesus. Yeah. They love the gospel with everything within them. And, and so I, I say that because we oftentimes, when talking about politics, we depersonalize it mm-hmm. to say the right or the left. And we don't put the faces to it because when we strip away the personal uh, effects of, of, of our words, it's so much easier to just say some awful things it's so much easier to generalize when we don't have people in mind. So, so when I talk about the conservatives um, or when I talk about the liberals, right? Um, when I talk about the conservatives, I think of my own grandpa. Before I say anything, I think, is this something that I would say to my grandfather's face? My grandfather, who was drafted in the Korean War, who fought and, and watched uh, his, his comrades in arms die, uh, the, the man who, uh, because I'm half Korean, because of who he, mm-hmm. what he did and the war he fought in, I am here today more than likely. Like, am I willing to say the things I'm about to say as if I'm going to talk to him about it? Because my grandpa, you know, he is a through and through Republican, you know, never Democrat guy. Like, and that's fine. And so we have to remember when we talk about this, we can't just relegate it to those people. Um, it has to be personal. We have to remember we're talking about real people. Yeah. yeah. The us versus them mentality is something that is, as Christians, we we really need to get away from. Yeah. Now, I, I want to I ask you more of a clarifying question based off of everything that you just said. When you say when I am engaging in conversation with maybe somebody that you would say, yeah, I don't agree with what they're saying, uh, and you go, would I say this uh, to my grandfather, and you make it much more personal, um, are you talking about stepping back and not saying things that you would stand firm and say, this is like, like, are you going, eh, I wouldn't say this to my grandfather because... um, yeah, we wouldn't we wouldn't have conversation that wouldn't turn into an argument, or is it something different to like how you speak and how you word things? Yeah, that's a great clarifier. Um, it, it's more in the tone, how I will say it, what I will say. Um, when you speak with people, um, generally speaking, and at least I, I should just say when not when you, but when I speak with people, I generally try to avoid the absolutes. I generally try to avoid incendiary imagery, right? I There's a lot more when I love somebody, when I'm talking with somebody I love, I I and I disagree with them, I want to come at them with love, with respect. Mm-hmm. And so I, I still hold very strongly, like, if I disagree with it, I'm going to say it. I'm, gonna, I'm going to voice my opinion if we're having an opinion conversation. I'm going to present my perspective. I'm going to present why I think you're wrong. I'm not going to shy away from that. But what I will do is I will try very hard to reframe how I say things because I want to make sure that uh, at the end of the day, we can walk away from that conversation still being friends, still having good relationships, still being uh, you know together as family, regardless of who I'm talking to. I want to be able to, at the end of the conversation, crack a joke, laugh, um, you know, 
and I obviously can't do it now, but, you know, give them a hug, high five, whatever, and just, you know, walk away and just say, hey, that was a really good conversation. We may not have resolved where we stand, but at least I can say with confidence that I'm proud of the fact that we had a good, robust conversation that respected each other instead of just the so common Facebook um, incendiary comment um, that gets just thrown out there, um, gets misinterpreted and then piled on. The other, the other thing that I want to bring, uh, bring about is, uh, to your point a little bit, uh, when you're talking about uh, pastors who pray, um, you know, one way over uh, President Bush, and then mm-hmm. how they prayed a completely different or a lack thereof for uh, President Obama. And guaranteed, there are, there are definitely churches out there we, we ourselves may not have been a part of, but that it was the opposite, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. That, that when it comes to Bush and when it comes to Trump, it's like, shy away from praying for and... Obama or a Democrat or whatever it is, right? It, it's it, it's both praying ways. their political agendas, yeah. Right, but that's the thing. It's you know, it always goes back to um, you know, we all as Christians need to have faith informed politics. But I think the problem is that we have all of a sudden flipped it, and now we have um, politic informed mm-hmm. faith, and and that subtle switch has caused so much problem because now all of a sudden we can't extricate our faith from our political stance because now all of a sudden my political platform is somehow tied up in and we cannot remove it from what the Bible says or who Jesus is. And I think that's, that is one of the most nefarious, damaging things that has happened. Yeah. Well, I mean, that is, that is the mentality, right? That it's whatever political party that you you side with, and we we see this being led by example by the politicians as far up as it goes, right? Uh, that we see this rhetoric of never give up any ground. Stand your ground if something, if some question comes at us that is difficult. I mean, watch any political debate. Like the amount of questions that are dodged compared to the amount of questions that are actively, truly engaged with to have like two political candidates who are coming from different spectrums and viewpoints uh, to actually engage and be like, yeah, that's a good question. Let's talk about how we do what is best and let's look at it from both sides. That doesn't happen. Uh, and that's that's our leaders in this country that are that are showing the way that you can follow. And I think that's 100% how a lot of people have become in this space that it's like, I'm not going to engage with questions that are, like you said, going to make me feel uncomfortable or going to give the other side more ground because it is not about having conversation to be able to come to a, a truth. It's about you only engage in conversation to win, to win, to win, to win, to win. Yeah, I, that's that's such a, an awful. Personally, I think that's such an awful way to approach any conversation. Because if you're going to approach the conversation that I'm going to win, well, if the conversation didn't go the way you wanted, it, did you really lose? I I don't I don't think there's really if if absolutely if you approached the conversation that way, but but that's not how dialogue is supposed to happen. That's not especially how the gospel is supposed to happen. Would you agree with me that um, this is a generalization? But would you agree with the generalization that? The and we'll we'll keep it to the American Church today uh, really hates questions, uh, whereas when you look at the life of Christ, 
Not only was he constantly asking questions, but he always engaged with the questions that he was being asked. But I feel like as the American church, pastors, Christians, when we're asked difficult questions, we really want to shy away from it because we're afraid that we're going to be quote-unquote proven wrong. Would you would you say that that's a, a reality? Yeah, I think I think that is generally speaking. Um, yeah, that, absolutely. Yeah, that yeah. is very much evident. In fact, um, we we don't uh, just by nature of humanity, right? We don't like not knowing things, mm-hmm. right? We 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 want to have the answers, and, and you know, just just to pull in, you know, the whole you know COVID nineteen thing right now. We want the answers. We want to know yeah. what to do, how to do it, and and the the lack of answers is causing a lot of problems, right? We're seeing that right now, where you know people claim to have the answers, and or, or another people another group claims to have no, these are the right answers, right? And so all of a sudden, it's like we, in this vacuum and an absence of answers, people try to fill it with answers and they're bad answers or they're wrong answers or they're, they're nuanced answers that require more than just face value, right? So, so I think that's even true in church when, you know, when people ask questions, hard questions about yeah. scripture, about God, and we start wrestling with that and say, we don't like that, right? Uh, one of the things that I was, I just had a conversation with a, a, a dear friend of mine um, who uh, moved out of the state um, and uh, she had a, a just a really, really bad, uh, really damaging um, experience with the church mm. um, and ended up walking uh, more more or less away. Um, and we we're just, ha- just having that conversation where she respects me greatly. Um, and, and she just, she said something that was heartbreaking to me, which was like, I just, I don't think with everything that has happened to me and everything that I've done, I can come back. And, and the statement that I said to her applies to what we're talking about right now, especially in the, in the realm of, of answers or lack thereof. I told her, um, if, if God were so easily explained, then he wouldn't be that much of a God. Um, if, if we weren't able to explain every single thing about our faith, about the Bible, about who God is, then this is not a big enough God. Yeah, absolutely. I have to be honest, though. There are a lot of days where I myself want to turn and run away from the church. <laughs> Uh, because the community that I see around me, certainly not all, but it's, it's what it is with many, many communities and many schools of thought that the loudest voices are the ones that are constantly being heard, right? And um, yeah, I, I do. I struggle with this whole topic that we're talking about of seeing people twisting the words of Jesus and the the message of God and the good news to fit within their own desires and particularly what we're talking about, a political agenda that is not God's agenda. Democrat, Republican, liberal, conservative, all like we're not saying there's, we're saying that it's all, it's all a deviation to some degree. Yeah. Okay, so shifting, I want to I want to ask you as a pastor. Um, so what is what is the answer as a pastor when it comes to politics? Because I've I've heard a lot of pastors, especially I I would say before 
the current administration, which, like it or, or not, there is no arguing that things have become more and more polarized during. Um, but I've heard a lot of pastors come from the perspective of, yeah, I, I try to shy away from politics when I'm preaching from the pulpit. Do you think as as pastors, our job is to shy away from speaking to politics? What do you think? So I think this is a pretty nuanced answer that I'm going to give. Because on the one hand, to use archaic language, the pulpit is a place where scripture is to be taught. Mm Mm-hmm. And Jesus, by the very nature of who he was and who he is, um, engages in politics. You just open up scripture and you see everything that he does is politically charged. It is socially charged. Um, He is there um, to right wrongs. He is there to defend those who don't have a voice. Mm-hmm. He's there to reach out and restore uh, those who have been marginalized. I mean, why, why is it that the people who have been you know, mistreated by the powers of the time uh, through, you know, whether it is through active uh, sin of their own or through just no fault of their own, they are just relegated to the outskirts of civilization. And then the powers that be, the, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Romans, why is Jesus so um, challenging to them at the same time reaches, you know, reaches down and extends mercy uh, to the people who are being oppressed? So I think... It's very interesting because Jesus does, uh, Yoder, uh, so in my paper, uh, I I quote out of of the book, The Politics of Jesus, uh, uh, Visit Agnes uh, Noster uh, by Yoder, um, where he he actually comes out and and, and says that... uh, um, that Jesus does have a a strong political stance. he, he's especially concerned with the abuse of power and status, as well as promoting God-honoring relationships. Um, Jesus is especially concerned with the abuse of power and status, as well as promoting God-honoring relationships. Um, so you have, in a sense, we have to, but at the same time, there's a time and place. Um, I know it's a lot of setup for that question. No, but yeah, I... <laughs> I struggle with the mentality of uh, try to shy away from politics because I understand to a degree the mentality, which is I think I think the pastors who have said that to me is, are coming from a point where they don't want to be the pastor that we were talking about where it's like they pray for Trump, but they didn't pray for Obama or they prayed for Obama, but they, that they want to shy away from alienating a certain political party from their church and they want to be accepting to all and welcome all in. And I'm like, yeah, I totally get that. That's good. But at the same time I go, oh man, what isn't politics? Because when I, like you said, when I read Jesus's words, when I read the Bible, I'm like, yeah, this, this all is in many ways very politically charged. And I think that we need to. I think we need to engage with discussions on uh, restorative justice, on uh, the death penalty, on abortion, on um, 
immigration and these issues that are really pressing issues in our time, but the hard thing is to not then have it be saturated by our political leanings and to have our political leanings be dictated and and molded by the words of the Bible and not by all these outside voices. And that that is very difficult. I think you said it early on, we're all biased to a degree. And as pastors, that's that's why I think that it it's the Bible says to us that we're we have a, a different place among the church. We have a, a larger responsibility and to teach and to talk to these things is is important, but it has to be handled with the utmost care so that we are not crafting like we're focused on a a God in our own image, with our own desires, with our own personal uh, and our own political agendas, but that we are truly searching for what does the Bible compel us to think, to speak, to act to with these issues. Absolutely. And it, 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 for me, it, it boils down to, you know, any, people can always refute your opinion. They can always come at you and, and you mm. know, say, yeah, but my perspective, right? Yeah. But the moment you say the kingdom of God, that's so much harder as yeah. a Christian to say, yeah, but, because, uh, and that's the thing. It, it's the idea of when we, when we engage in politics as pastors, it cannot, it should not um, there's no place for us to to insert our bias. Now, again, it's hard to separate our own bias, but what what we should be doing is when people say, Pastor, we need to have a pro pro life rally in our church, right? That's a really difficult place to find yourself as a pastor because all of a sudden it's like, okay, so if I say yes, then I alienate half of my congregation or, you know, whoever it is. And like, um, but if I say no, all of a sudden I'm branded as this, you know, you know, this, I don't support life, right? So, so the, it's an interesting thing too, when you observe how Jesus answers the, the questions and, and the challenges that the Pharisees throw at him, it's almost like Jesus is on a completely different level. Yeah. Like they're asking Jesus, we want an answer to this question. And Jesus is like, well, the answer is based on the kingdom of God. So what you're asking me is incomplete. Mm-hmm. So the answer I'm going to give you is the right answer, but it's it's we're, it's almost like we're talking different languages. And as pastors, that's our challenge is people are going to come to us with Republican or Democrat or what have you political perspective. And it's our job to say, okay, that... That's certainly a question, but the the answer is should be rooted in kingdom value. What yep. does God's kingdom say about His people, and how should we be responding and behaving? Yeah, I think that my first my first response to somebody coming with with that 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 question or that statement of we should do this pro life rally, I would say, okay, what do you mean by pro life? Because I personally can't stand that pro life has just been that it just is talking about abortion. I think the Christians absolutely need to be pro-life. But that that leads us to uncomfortable questions like death penalty, like war, like what about after the child is born? Are we concerned about the uh, the economy and if What about the healthcare? Ch- yeah. I I personally wish that more Christians Rather than wanting to raise up banners and signs to fight against abortion, 
put the signs down and walked into um, a place to be able to adopt some kids who don't have a family of their own. But it's it's easier. It's easier to say, I voted this way and thus, you know, I, I wash my hands of, of this issue than to go, what, what can I personally do that may be really hard, uh, but to, as far as I can do, cause you're, you're not as a, I mean, as an individual, are you going to change the laws of abortion or the death penalty in, in the world? You're, you're not, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't fight for the right laws and that kind of thing, but what can you do? Um, to change somebody else's life, to make something better, to give to somebody else, to take to take on the issues and the problems of somebody else. Yeah, um, I, I think of Philippians two, right? That it, it's this the beautiful summation that the Apostle Paul kind of gives when he talks about how um, equality with God. You know, he had every right to claim equality with God, but he decided no. I'm going to lay all of that aside and become subject to my father. I'm going to set aside all of my rights and privileges that I have, put that aside, subject myself lower than just from God to humanity, lower than that, I'm going to become a slave to humanity. Mm-hmm. I'm going to lay aside all of these rights, no matter what happens to me, I'm going to set all of that aside, serve humanity in doing so through obedience to God, glorify and honor him so that he might be glorified, lifted high, even unto death, death on a cross, right? We, 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 that's a beautiful verse. And I, I see that as you have these rights. Jesus has all of these rights. He surrenders them. And, and in doing so, in, in laying down his rights to fight for broken humanity. He does something that is so much more powerful than he could ever have done had he just kept the mantle of God and said, no, you serve me and I'm going to fix this using flexing my muscles, right? So I think that's that's really critical um, when we talk about Jesus crafted in my image, because a lot of times we don't want to lay down our own rights. We want to grasp onto our rights. Like, this is my right as, a, as an American, as a, mm-hmm. as a human being. I have all of these rights, and, and I'll be darned if someone comes in and tells me what to do and tells me how to do it, right? Um, and yet the very opposite is true when it comes to Jesus. It says you have these rights. You have every right to hold onto those rights. But if you really, really want to model Jesus, surrender those rights. And in fact... Use your rights to advocate for those who don't have the voice. Yeah. The humility of Jesus that's spoken spoken of in that passage. When I look at American politics, I find it very hard to find humility. Uh, it is it is all win-win, don't give ground. Humility is, is not to be seen. Uh, humility is constantly a factor when we talk about the kingdom of God, when we talk about Jesus as who we are as Christians supposed to follow. And I think that's a good question to to ask is like, am I being humble uh, in the way that I talk to others, in the way that I act? Um, all this all this makes me think of um, Jesus's words, and he's talking about money when he says it, but in Matthew 6, 24, when he says, no one can serve two masters, either you will hate the one and love the other, 
or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Um, and I think that this rings so true, whether we're talking about a political party, whether we talk about um, the master of ourselves and our own desires, uh, whether we talk about a uh, a country, America, fill in the blank, whatever whatever country, all of these things got money, all these things can can be a master over us and can start to mold this image of God out of the true form of what God presents. Now, finishing up this discussion, I want to kind of turn it to the personal, because it's really easy, and I think this happens so often, let's be honest, to all of us when we're sitting in, whether it's in church and we're listening to a sermon or we're listening to a podcast or whatever it is, it's really easy to hear this kind of discussion and go, yeah, yeah, and those people over there and point and say, those people are doing it wrong, and that's this is such good, yeah, I got to write that down so I can use that in my next argument, but when it comes down to it, for us personally, God is concerned about where our own hearts are at. So Jason, how do, how do we personally, how do you personally, how do we make sure that we're, we're not doing this, that we're not crafting God in our own image? What's something, some practical ways that we can be more aware of this and be careful not to fall into this trap and to truly be searching for the truth of who God is so that we can follow him better? Um, I, I know you said this, we're wrapping this up, but that that question opens up a, a whole nother area that... that That's okay. I don't have a time limit, to, so... <laughs> I, I, yeah, I know, but it, it just needs to... The background information is so important because I, I think the biggest reason or, or, or the biggest thing that we can do um, to for ourselves, um, be aware of and, and try to shy away from uh, the Imago Mei Jesus is identifying just how deep the heresy of Gnosticism exists in the church today. Uh, Gnosticism is a dualist belief where uh, the the flesh and the material world is evil, it's bad, it's sinful, um, and somehow the spiritual realm is good. Um, and we, we, when I say that, when I say uh, Gnosticism, uh, people who are familiar with Gnosticism think back to first, second, third century church of like, oh, we we stamped that out years ago. Like we, you know, the, yeah, we think of like Gnostic gospels, like the Gospel of Thomas, right, like, yeah. right, mm-hmm. and we think that oh no, the, the councils got together and they so they stomped <laughs> that out. And yeah, it's not really a word you hear talked about no, today. No, no, except in study of theology. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But but the problem is that Gnosticism has persisted throughout the entire entire history of the church, even though the church came out in full unity of saying, this is not accurate, this is heresy, it's still prevalent in the church today. And and this, and let me explain why. If you believe that flesh is bad and spirit is good, then you start to believe that the things that you do here don't matter. Mm-hmm. And the things that you will do in the next life have more weight. The next step in that is, well, then justice, um, activism, fighting for for rights, um, I can much more easily skirt around those things because that is not something that has value. 
um, because it's not going to carry over into the next life, right? And, and when I say that, people pause and be like, no, 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 we believe that what you do in this life matters. And I would say, absolutely. In fact, I just argued that you can, in fact, do that. What you're doing, though, when you when you believe subconsciously that that material world is bad and somehow spiritual world is good. I mean, talk about all of the escapist theology that we sing, mm-hmm. right? I'll fly away. It's a beautiful oh, hymn. I, I, love I love that love hymn, it. but but I've, I it's so weird. I was thinking about that just this past week. I was like, man, I love that song, but do I actually agree with it anymore? And I don't think I do. No, it's escapist theology, right? When the role is called up yonder, like these are rich hymns, well, what, if, but they're all escapist hymns. If if all of that is bad, then why did God create us in, in this world in the first place? Why right. would Jesus come uh, in the flesh? Uh, I mean, I don't see any verse in Matthew where it says, and Jesus looked at his body and said, ew, 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 ew. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Like, like, get it off, get it off. I, I mean, I see a God throughout the Bible that not only not only loves us, but loves all of his creation. And I go, why would God create us as physical beings with these senses of smell, touch, uh, sight, and then all of a sudden heaven is us, you know, as as cartoons will, like we're floating around as wisps in the clouds. Like it doesn't make sense. I don't know what heaven's going to be like, but I imagine it's going to be much more, much more like this place, this earth, in all of its glory than it is going to be wisps in a cloud. Absolutely. And, and it really just, you know, comes down to, like you said, like if, if, if God really truly meant for us to be spirit beings, like why would he create us physically, right? And so we understand all of this theologically, but for some reason we don't make the translation. Like, we, you know, you can understand something intellectually, but, you know, when uh, practically speaking, sometimes we don't live it out, right? I think that's what happens with Gnosticism, where we understand it on an intellectual, theological level. But when it comes to living it out, we actually apply Gnostic practice um, into our theology. And in doing so, we unknowingly create that incorrect line and in doing so, we start to be able to justify um, the uh, the rejection or acceptance of certain um, aspects of, of the Bible that we want to do. And so, uh, long-winded answer again <laughs> to your question, but in one of the ways that we can really fight this personally is to recognize where we have Gnostic thinking in our lives. Mm. Um, because when we when we strip away the fact that you know what no everything in this what we do here now matters, uh, that starts to really reshape, um, really really reshape how you view um, someone with a different political uh, perspective of you, someone who uh, share who doesn't share the same um, national ethnicity as you, somebody who's struggling with a certain sin issue. You start to really see people as um, Imago Dei instead of crafting an Imago May and then casting that on to other people. Yeah. I think also we have to be to be able to look at our own selves and be able to be maybe a little bit more critical, right? Absolutely. To, to be able to, when somebody asks us a question and we have that that impulse to to spew something out because we got to defend what we believe and we can't give any ground and you know like my my answer may not be well crafted but 
I need to I need to defend it right now because I I can't let God down. I can't. I think it's I think it's okay to say you know I don't know. That's a really good question. That kind of rocks my world a little bit. And to stop there, I think is where the problem would be. But to then go, you know, I need to I need to look at what the Bible says. I need to wrestle with this. I need to feel uncomfortable with this question. And I like and you we need to be able to we need to be able to say I don't know. Yeah. We need to be able to feel comfortable doing that. I I mean, you're a youth pastor as well. Our students if we just spew out answers and never say the words I don't know cuz we're going to cuz they can ask some great questions that I have certainly gone oh man I'm stumped by this or maybe even I've thought of this before and I kind of know what I think but I'm not able to give a great answer right off the cuff if we just like shoot out an answer because we feel like we need to give an answer in that moment and and just say you know what no I struggle with that too and that you know that that does make make me feel uncomfortable sometimes. And I have to, I have to struggle with that. Like they're going to see through that and Mm -hmm. students will see through that. And so will, so will other people, whether they're Christians or non-believers, they will see that unauthentic answer. And that happens in political discussions all the time with an unwillingness to engage in questions that, that may help make us feel like we're losing ground. And those are the kind of people that we all go, I know I can't talk to uncle Jerry, because Uncle Jerry, oh man, he like it's. I'm just talking to a wall. There's no, there's no, dis- actual discussion and search for truth. And I, I know I don't want to be that. Right. I don't want to be that person. I want to be able to engage and go. Yeah, that's a good point. Hm, I've got to think about that. I think that's so important to be able to be open to questions because I think they're they're going to help. Questions going to help us grow in our faith. Absolutely. If 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 we believe that the Bible is truth. What are we afraid of? Right. We really shouldn't be afraid of anything. But, you know, it is what it is. And, and this is the world we live in. And, the, you know, and that's the challenge of, of church leaders. That's the challenge of um, just, you know, even just, you know, lay people. Just we are all in this and we all need to be okay and embrace, you know, we need to embrace truth and we need to be okay, like you said, with the I don't know question. But but with that I don't know question is like, okay, you know what? That's a great question. I don't know. How about this? Let's both dig into this. Let's research this. Let's look into this together. And then yeah. let's come back together and, you know, we'll share what did you find? What did I find? And continue that dialogue. And you might continue that dialogue and still arrive at, you know, we don't know. But that's okay. Especially if we're talking about two Christians here. Shouldn't two Christians or more, when we gather together and we disagree on things, shouldn't our goal be, you know what, even if this completely changes my my political leaning, even if this completely changes this area of my life and how I live it or how I speak, I want to know who God really is right. and what God truly wants me how he wants me to live. Well, and that's why the, um, you know, Jesus in my image, you can do that, but you do that with your own echo chamber. Mm. Whereas when you do created in God's image, Imago Dei, now all of a sudden it's that barrier is gone. And now you can have those conversations with people who you don't agree with and, and maybe broaden your perspective, broaden their perspective, um, which I think is, it's so much more valuable just, just even just taking away the theological lines from it. That's just so much value. So there's so much value in that, just from an intellectual standpoint. Um, let alone 
the theological standpoint. And and I think that God will change our minds and change oh, our absolutely. hearts like radically if we let the walls down and allow those those questions and this thinking and this pursuit of who Jesus really is, who is God. Will the real Jesus Christ please stand up? Right. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know, it just one last thing uh, that I want to share um, before we, you know, officially, I guess, wrap up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, there's a quote here by uh, Jim Wallace that I want to read um, that is just really valuable to me that kind of actually, as I was doing research, I, I read this and I stopped and I just let the words hit me because it was so true. He said, who speaks for God? When the voice of God is invoked on behalf of those who have no voice, it is time to listen. But when the name of God is used to benefit the interests of those who are speaking, it's time to be very careful. That's fantastic. Jason, thank you so much uh, just for uh, talking with me today, with sharing your thoughts, sharing your heart, uh, sharing uh, some fantastic quotes uh, from uh, your research. Um, and yeah, I just, uh, I just appreciate you. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Mitch. Special thanks again to Jason for joining me on the episode. I always forget how great the conversation is that I get to have with people until I have to go back and edit the podcast and listen to it again. And I'm always, pretty much always driven to like, at that moment, send a text. And I definitely did with Jason and just was like, Jason, that conversation was super great, super helpful. Thanks for sitting down and having that conversation with me. And I say that because I hope that for those of you who are tuning in and listening to these conversations, that you are walking away from hearing these conversations with the same appreciation as I do to be able to get to sit down and talk to these people and talk about God and talk about life and everything in between. So also, thank you, the listener, for joining in and listening to another episode of Faith Beyond Sunday. If you'd like to show this podcast some support, Here's a couple ways that you can do that. Number one, you can tell a friend about this or another episode that you think that they would enjoy, or maybe you just think that they would enjoy the podcast in general. You can head over to the podcast app of your choice and leave a review for us. That will always help us to reach more people. And you can, if you want to go above and beyond, head over to our Patreon and pledge some financial support there. The link for that is in our show notes. If you'd like to get in touch with me, write me an email, tell me about your thoughts on this episode, or like I said, any episode, you can email us at faithbeyondsunday at gmail.com. But beyond that, that's all that I have for you on this episode of Faith Beyond Sunday. Thanks again to everyone for joining us. And until we meet again, I want to encourage you to seek for truth, to pursue challenging yet peaceful conversations, and to always, always love each other. See you next time.